wear green. And if you're not wearing green, I'm sorry, I'm going to tell everybody not to pinch you till church is over, okay? Because that's, that's one way people celebrate. If you're not wearing green, I'm going to pinch you. I made sure that I was wearing green this morning when I, when I talked to my kids about this. Um, you know, it's kind of funny because you celebrate St. Patrick's Day by pinching people if they're not wearing green. And I think that's the only day of the year that you can get away with that, right? If you're not wearing green tomorrow and I pinch you, you're probably not going to understand it, right? It's just kind of an odd thing to celebrate. Um, also, uh, people drink green beer. I think they throw a little dye in it, and they have green beer to drink, right? Uh, there's a, a river in Chicago, have you seen it, that's turned green, right? I've seen pictures of it. I've seen it on the news before. They, they turn it green. Uh, a lot of people enjoy parades and festivals. Not my kind of thing, but I, people enjoy it. My mom, when I was a kid, and she does it for her preschool, used to make green eggs and ham for St. Patrick's Day. Lots of reasons that people celebrate. Most, if not all, uh, practicing Christians in Ireland go to church today, which I guess if it's not even on a Sunday, they go to church that day as well. They wear their best clothing uh, with a shamrock pinned to their chest, and they attend church together. Uh, after that, they go home and they have a large roast dinner, and it would consist of meat and vegetables served with roast and mashed potatoes. And then they would all gather around the TV and watch the parades, right, and all the fun, unless they were out enjoying it. Um, you know, the, the history behind St. Patrick's Day, I did a little research because I really didn't know. What are we celebrating? Uh, St. Patrick uh, was actually from the great country of Scotland. And if you don't know, McLaughlin is a name from Scotland. That's why I'm like the great country of Scotland. Uh, his real name is Maywin Sukat, if I pronounce it correctly. And he was actually kidnapped and take, hauled off to Ireland where he learned. Uh, he was a slave, but also he learned how the people talked and all their customs. And one day he had a dream where the, the God told him your ship is ready and he was able to get on a ship and he was able to escape Ireland. But then he had another dream where he got a letter from Ireland and, it's, and he opened it and it was people begging him to come back to Ireland and to, and to share the gospel with them. So he did. And in real life this is what happened. He went back and he had a very successful uh, ministry. It says he converted over 135,000 people. He established 300 churches and consecrated or set apart 350 bishops. Pretty impressive work for, for a guy uh, that is celebrated, right? And, and I didn't know all that until today, I just, or until this week. I always thought of, like, I know the green beer, I know the green river, I know that wearing green is why I don't get pinched. But there's, it's a very special thing to celebrate. There's lots of other things we celebrate in life. Uh, anybody here celebrate your birthday, right? Anything special that you do every year for your birthday? Uh, one of my favorite things that we do is I have a cake. It's plain. It's just a white cake with dots of frosting on it. It's the same every single year. I get a, a special birthday meal, and I don't know how this is going to sound to you, but it's, a, it's called like tomato pie. It's, it's tomato, tomato tart, and it's like tomato sauce and, or tomato stuff with mayonnaise. I love it. The kids don't really care for it, but I, I mean, I got two of them, and I ate one and a half of them. I mean, it's just that good. Uh, anyway, so that's one thing we do, but I mean, you guys probably do something different, right? Uh, maybe every year you get something special, the same kind of thing on your birthday, but you're remembering it, or a special meal. Uh, anniversaries, right? Anybody celebrate anniversaries? Valentine's Day? Sort of, we sort of celebrate it Valentine's Day. Uh, even the death of a loved one, people do things to remember somebody special in their life. They might put on a special song it was their, that loved one's favorite song or watch their favorite movie or or their video of of 
their funeral, the, the music that was played, and the story of their life. But we do all sorts of things to remember special people and special events in life. Now, that's, that's not something that just started in America a few years ago. This is something that happens in the Bible times as well. And we're going to be looking at, uh, the message title is, In Remembrance Of. We're going to be looking at, first of all, In Remembrance of God's Goodness, when he led the people out of Egypt, and we're going to be looking at the in remembrance of God's salvation and, and what the Passover, how that applies to us. So Luke chapter 22, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13. I'm just going to read the first verse, and then we're going to start discussing a little bit. It says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. Now, if you're not familiar with the Passover, I hopefully in the next few minutes it will become a little bit more clear, but it started back in Exodus chapter 12. Uh, you can read through that whole chapter, and you, you learn how, um, what it was supposed to take place. They were supposed to take a lamb, a male lamb, a year old, without blemish, without defect. They were supposed to kill it. They were not supposed to break any of its bones. They were supposed to take some of the blood and put it across the door, the door of the frame of their house. And... You find out that in chapter 12, verses 12 through 13, the Lord is going to pass through Egypt. Wherever he saw blood on that doorpost, guess what he did? He passed over. That's why it is called the Passover. That's what they're celebrating is God passing over because he saw the blood on the doorpost. Now, uh, you know, last week we talked about reverse 911, right? Remember Dr. David Jeremiah had pointed out that uh, back in 2003 that they... They'd, all, they'd had all these fires coming through, and he said, I want to keep this from happening, or somebody came up with this plan, and, and they came up with reverse 911. Normally, you call when there's a problem. Reverse 911 says, before the fire's coming, we're going to warn you, and hopefully you'll take heed to this warning and get out of harm's way. Uh, he said a record number of people did. About a million people got out of Southern California, but there were people who got that warning, ignored the, test, the text, ignored the phone call, and stayed home, and they perished. The same thing with the, the blood on the doorpost. They were told, they were warned, that you need to do this. And the Israelites did this, and obviously the people of Egypt did not do this, in which case Pharaoh's son, his firstborn, died. The firstborn animal or the firstborn uh, descendant, human descendant was going to pass away if they did not do this. And so people are celebrating this. They're remembering God's goodness in getting them through this time, uh, or at least their people a long time ago. This was supposed to take place on the 14th day of the Jewish month, the first month, which is the month of Abib, which would be our April time. And it was something that was supposed to be celebrated, something that was supposed to be remembered for generations to come. And there's still Jewish people who still go through this, this uh, celebration, this Passover celebration. The, the Passover was one day, but then you had the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was seven days after, so you had eight days of celebration. But before this meal takes place, because Jesus is going to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread with his disciples, before he does this, uh, I'm going to call it the prelude to the, the Passover. Two different things happen, two different ends of the spectrum. You have Judas doing something very, very naughty, and you have two disciples who are getting excited, getting ready to celebrate the Passover. So the, the first thing that happens before or during the prelude to the Passover is the plot of Judas, verses 1 through 6. Luke 22, verses 1 through 6, it says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill Jesus, for they feared the people. 
Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and the captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad, and they agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. So what was the plot of Judas? It was to turn Jesus over to the, the, the chief priests and the scribes when nobody else was around. And why was that? It's because everybody loved Jesus. If you guys think back to the, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the people were taking the palm branches and putting them on the ground. They're taking their coats and saying, hey, a donkey can walk on this because Jesus is riding his donkey. And they were shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. People were very excited about who Jesus was. After Jesus clears out the temple, he tips over the money changers' tables. Uh, in the NIV, it says when Jesus was talking, people hung on every word that Jesus had to say. That's a little early, Noah. <laughs> I told him I had a slide. One slide, and I didn't tell him when. Uh, so don't get too distracted by that yet. We'll get the chance to focus on it a little bit. But anyway, uh, why... why it begs the question that the fact that Judas betrayed Jesus, it begs the question, why did Judas betray Jesus? Why did anybody have to betray Jesus at all? Because that's a really terrible thing that to, for somebody to have had to done. Well, I have one possible reason why Judas betrayed Jesus, and then I have three reasons for sure why Judas betrayed Jesus. So this first reason was for, for hatred or, or, or because of his love for money. So I guess that's two, because he was getting to the point where he was fed up with Jesus, and he loved money. That's why the possible reason, because when Jesus was uh, having the disciples, all the people thought Jesus was going to go into Jerusalem, he's going to overthrow the Roman government, and he was going to take over the people, uh, take over the nation and bring the Israelites back, or the Jewish nation back up on top. And once Judas realizes this is not going to take place, I think it starts to agitate him. It starts to make him frustrated. So he says, well, why not? I think his mood or his idea is that I'm going to leave this bunch of people. They're not doing what I want. I'm going to leave. I'm going to get what I can out of this. And so he goes and he talks to the scribes and to the chief priests. and says, what, what are you going to give me kind of to hand Jesus over to you? And you find out uh, in, John, in uh, Matthew, 26, verse 15, Matthew 26, verse 15, that he got 30 pieces of silver. That's why I say the love of money. Uh, if you think about uh, in John chapter 3 through 8, Mary, the mother or the sister of Lazarus, took perfume and she put it on Jesus' feet and she wiped uh, his feet with her hair. And all the disciples kind of grumbled among themselves. And Judas says, you know what? Uh, that money could have been sold and given, or that perfume could have been sold and the money given to the poor. Well, why did Judas care so much about that money? It says because he used to help himself to it. He would be the one who carried all the money that the disciples needed to live off of. And when he wanted a little bit, he'd just take out a little bit for himself. So, of course, if you're going to get about a year's wages dumped into your little money pot, you're going to appreciate that. So I think he's mad at Jesus not accomplishing what he wants. And he's thinking, I can get something out of this, so I'm going to betray Jesus, and I'm going to leave the situation. So that's why I think one possible reason why he was willing to betray Jesus. But here's the three reasons for sure why Judas was willing to betray Jesus. Verse 3. It says, then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. Jesus, or I'm sorry, forgive me, Judas had Satan enter him. And when you look up entering, it's like entering into a room. So inhabiting Judas's body was Satan. 
He was actually inside of him. At some point, he leaves because he enters him again. But during this time, he is inside of Judas, and he is directing him, he's encouraging, he's controlling him, whatever, to go and talk to these people, to the chief priests and the scribes, about betraying Jesus. But why was Judas available for this such a task? Well, the easy answer is that he was not saved. Because when you get saved, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 1 Corinthians 6.19 talk about the Holy Spirit being inside the believer. In Ephesians 1.14, it talks about the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of, of your salvation, which means he's not going to leave. The Holy Spirit's going to stay inside of you, and I guarantee you the Holy Spirit's not going to move over to make room for a demon. He's not going to make room for Satan to take his place so they can fight inside of your body. And so that why, was why he was available, because I do not believe that he was saved in the first place. He looked the part. He, he ran around with Jesus with his 12, or 11 other disciples. Those disciples didn't know Judas wasn't saved. They think, hey, look, look at him. He's one of us. He's doing the same kinds of things that we are doing. But he was not saved, and so he was able to be uh, under the control of Satan to go and do this. The Holy Spirit is not going to share his temple. Uh, the, the Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, it says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Holy Spirit in you is stronger than the outward forces that you have that can try to control or inhabit your body. You know, I don't believe Christians can't be demon-possessed, but they can be strongly encouraged and strongly influenced by the Bible. Kids, don't ever play with the Ouija board. Don't ever get involved in that kind of stuff because you can have influences from demons and that kind of thing if you're messing around with the devil. The Bible tells us in James 4, 7 and 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 to resist the devil. Stay away, flee, run away, get away from the things of the devil. Uh, and Ephesians 6, 10 says to stand against the devil's schemes. Right? We can have the influences. If we're, if we're listening to satanic music, if we're uh, reading satanic books or if we're playing satanic games, you know, we can have influences in our life that we are not going to want to have. And we're going to have problems with that. Uh, so we're supposed to flee those things. We're supposed to resist those things. We're supposed to stay away from them. So the first reason that Judas was able to betray Jesus was because he had the devil in him, right? Literally, he had Satan enter inside of him, and he couldn't fight it. He couldn't control it. He was able to do exactly what the devil wanted. The second reason that Judas was able to betray Jesus was simply this, was that God allowed it. Nothing happens outside of God's control. And sometimes that make us, makes us wonder, well, why, God, did you allow that to happen? I mean, I bet all those people who are in all those storms, even the believers are asking God, wait a second, why are you allowing this to happen to us? What did we do? Or, or what, uh, what, what purpose is there in this? But those things only happen because God allowed it. Uh, you guys probably, I'm sure everybody knows the story of Job. Uh, Job uh, Satan is talking with God in heaven, and God says, have you considered my servant Job? And Job, or God, or, when you use too many names, it gets confusing. <laughs> Satan says, of course, you know, Job, is, he's going to follow you. Look, you put this hedge around him. Life is perfect for him. How could he not follow you? So God says, okay, you can hurt him, just not him himself. You can hurt all his possessions that he has. And so uh, Satan unleashes his fury against his kids and against his cattle, against every part of him. But that's it. And then Satan comes and talks to God. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? And Job's, or Satan says, yeah, of course. 
Man will give up everything he has if he can have himself protected. And so God says, okay, you can do whatever you want to him. You just can't kill him. And so then Satan unleashes his fury against Job's body. But either way, it was only to what extent that God would allow it. Uh, Job chapter 38, verses 8 through 11, it's, it's kind of a fun passage if you just want to see how great God is. Um, it talks about his control even over the waves. You know, like to see the oceans and the, the, the lakes, the waves that come up, he says, you can only come this far. He has control even over that. So there's not even one little drop of water that's going to come across this barrier that God has set in place. Because he says, you, he has control. You can come this far and no farther. So God allowed it to take place. That's why it took place. Uh, number three is because it was prophesied that it was going to happen. And God's going to keep every prophecy that was ever prophesied, even if it's something that he does not want to experience. In Acts chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It says, men and brethren, this Holy Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered with us and attained a part in our ministry. It was prophesied that somebody was going to betray Jesus. So God says, okay, it's prophesied. I said it's going to happen. We have to follow through with what I said. And that prophecy, you can look back to, it's most likely being fulfilled in Psalms 41, verse 9 where David writes, even my close friend whom I trusted, who, who, he who shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me. And that's prophesied referring to Jesus or to Judas because even Jesus, Judas, Jesus took the bread and he dumped, dunked it in and he gave it to Judas to, to partake of. And he was the one who was going to betray Jesus. So it happened because Judas was under the influence of the devil because God is in control of everything, and God allowed it, and because it was prophesied that it was going to take place. So that's one end of the spectrum. Prelude to the Passover, Judas is trying to betray Jesus. The other thing that's happen happening is Peter and John are trying to set up to prepare for the Passover. Verses 7 through 13. It says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat of it. So he said to him, Well, where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he enters. There you then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, uh, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room. There make ready. And so they went and they found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, that might seem like a difficult task. Go walk into the city and find the guy that's carrying a pitcher of water. Well, it, it would be difficult to know which guy was, you're supposed to follow, except for in that culture, it wasn't the guys who carried water. It was the women who carried the water. So naturally, a guy carrying water is going to stand out uh, pretty obvious compared to the women carrying the water. So they, they went and they followed this guy and they talked to him and found everything exactly the way it was supposed to be, like Jesus said it was going to be. And so then they had to prepare the meal for the Passover, which means they would have to purchase an approved lamb. It had to be spotless. It had to be a year old. They had to take it to the temple to be slain, and they took it back in order to roast it. And then they had to get the herbs and the spices, and they had to prepare the unleavened bread and ready the wine. And there you have 
Um, forget that part. Yeah, I'm not there yet. Um, so you have here, you have the Judas who's trying to betray Jesus before the, the Passover. And you have Peter and John who are trying to set up to prepare for the Passover. And as they're trying to prepare this Passover, they're doing it because they want to do it all in remembrance of God's goodness and delivering the people from Egypt. It was a long, long time ago, but they were remembering how good God is. You know, and it's good to sometimes to come up with something in your life to remember how good God is. You know, it might, uh, it might be the fact that, that, remember that day when that God healed that loved one? You know, they were on death's door, and they, were, they weren't going to make it. And I have to admit, I don't really have days like this. It really didn't cross my mind to do this until this point. But you know what? It would be good for me to write down on a calendar, this is what God did when. And the next year, when I look at that calendar and say, oh, yeah, I remember that God did something special in my life. Because if we don't do things like that, we forget how good God is. I forget that, oh, yeah, God did answer the prayers the last time when I was sick. And God really did provide for me when I was uh, needing this job. And God really did provide and help me to find something that I had lost. So I would encourage you, just like I'm going to try to encourage myself, is when I see God do something special in my life, I want to write it down. And so that the next year I can be reminded, oh, yes, my God is good. The only thing I can think of, but I don't know the exact date, uh, was, is our car. And I've, I've mentioned this before. Someday I'm going to preach a message on it because I had a message, and it was talking about, when, uh, about God's answer to prayer, and sometimes they're unexpected. Uh, but every time I see my car, I look back and I say, oh, yeah, God provided when I desperately needed God to provide. And so I have this remembrance. I just don't have that specific day. Uh, so I think I would encourage you when, you, when God does something good in your life, write it down. Remember it. Look back on it because when time gets tough and you feel like God's not doing anything, he's not answering prayers, you can say, yes, God is good because look what God did back when. So in remembrance of God's goodness, the Jewish people celebrated, they remembered the Passover. Now in remembrance of God's salvation, we're going to look at this a little bit deeper. Uh, we're going to look at the, the Passover kind of in the same way. Now, you guys have had lots of time to look at, this is kind of how the Passover meal looks. Has anybody ever partaken of the Passover? Yeah, I've, I've what's that? Yeah, Seder, yeah, right. Um, yes, that's true. Um, I, I did it one time, and I really didn't quite understand it. It was kind of an interesting situation. My wife and I did it together, and I actually uh, looked on a site called Jews for Jesus, and I was trying to ask, ask some questions about this, and um, the guy's like, Where do you, where's your church at? You know, I'd like to come and, and let you guys partake of the Lord's Supper. So if anybody ever thinks that would be kind of an interesting idea, he would come and explain it to us. We could celebrate the, the Passover together. We'd have a better picture. Um, I think in a couple weeks when we have communion, I'm going to talk about this more. So I'm not going to talk about these four different cups, kind of what they represent. Uh, but just notice that there are four different cups because when we read here in a couple verses about this, is, Jesus takes the, the cup and passes it around. It's not going to be the same cup. It's going to be actually a different cup. But this, this, this formula or this meal has been, according to a site that I looked at, has been the same for about 3,500 years that they have followed this Passover. And you can look and see that the blessing on the first, uh, the first cup and the matzah, you can look and see how they read the psalm and all that kind of thing. And it is kind of an interesting uh, meal to partake of. So maybe we'll get the chance to do that. But Jesus says, I'm looking forward to this. I want to enjoy this Passover with you. 
uh, verses 14 through 16. It says, When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. Verse 16 says, For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Okay, so you guys see the Passover meal or the, the Seder meal that, uh, that was just like what they would experience. And Jesus says, I want to eat of this because this is going to be the last time before it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And, and what does that mean, before it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God? Well, it could mean uh, chapter 22, verses 28 through 30, which we'll look at next week, it, when it says, But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. There's going to be a meal that Jesus is going to share with his disciples, and he could be referring to that. That's one possible uh, understanding of when it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God, but there's also another one. And that's what we're going to spend kind of the rest of our time looking at. Uh, when, the, when the, the true meaning of the Passover is completed. Now, you guys know the, the Passover. We discussed it. You took a lamb. You, you, you killed the lamb, and you didn't break any of his bones, and you took that blood, and you put it on the doorpost. And when uh, the Lord would pass through, he would protect whoever had that blood on their doors. Well, the Passover lamb is a picture of what Jesus is for us. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For indeed, Christ, our Passover Lamb, was sacrificed for us. So Jesus is a picture. He, or the Passover Lamb is a picture of, our, of Jesus being our Passover Lamb. The shed blood of the Lamb obviously represents the shed blood of Jesus uh, to protect us. As, as the blood protected those inside that door, the blood of Jesus protects us from the punishment, uh, the, pain, the punishment for our sins that we deserve. Jesus was slaughtered. He was put to death uh, during the Passover. Now, that might look and seem like kind of a, a coincidence. It might seem like it's really no big deal. You know, the, the, the scribes and the people who wanted to eliminate Jesus, who wanted to kill him, they didn't even want to do it at this point. They, when they talked about this, they said, let's wait till after the Passover. Let's wait till after the celebration because they were afraid of the people. But once Judas said, okay, I'll betray him, they, they sped things up and said, okay, let's get this taken care of. That's just man's idea. That's just man's schemes as to when things are going to take place. God has other plans. You know, this was the time for Jesus to die. Not just because Jesus had to die at some point in order to save us for our sins, but it, from our sins, but was because Jesus is the Passover lamb. Jesus is fulfilling what the picture of the Passover is supposed to represent. And Jesus is not going to partake of this until everybody who is supposed to get saved gets saved. Once the blood of Jesus is applied to everybody's life who has accepted him as their Savior. That's, I think, what it means when it is fulfilled. It's when it is completed. When everybody out there gets saved who is supposed to get saved, the Passover is completed. The, the, the Lord has passed by. And it's almost as if the Lord looks down and he says, Okay, Caleb. Leslie, they got the blood of Jesus on them. I'm going to pass over because God looks and sees that they are forgiven of their sins because of the blood of Jesus. And by doing that, they've escaped the eternal punishment that we have all deserved. God looks and sees that you are forgiven 
And, and it's something that we need to celebrate. It's something we need to ex be excited about. Not just on Communion Sunday every, once every couple of months with a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice, even though that's very important to do. It's good to be reminded of what it took for Jesus to get upon that cross, what it took for him to, have, to suffer in order that we could have eternal life. But we do celebrate with that cup. We do celebrate with that blood or that little the, the piece of bread. Verse 17 says, Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread, giving thanks, and he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that's where the communion part of it starts. Verse 20 says, Likewise, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And obviously in 1 Corinthians it says, do this in remembrance of me. We are supposed to remember. We're supposed to be reminded. We're supposed to be excited. You know what? When you have an anniversary, it reminds you that, oh yeah, I was in love with this person when we said our vows, right? And it rekindles something. When you, when you have your birthday, it's to celebrate the day that you were born. When you, when you look back on your life and you say that there was Christmas, oh yeah, that's the day that Jesus came to this earth to be born because ultimately he's going to pay the price of the cross so that I can have salvation. We, we do things to remember, uh, especially events in life, and we need to do things to remember the gift of salvation that God has given us. It's not just once a month. It's not just once every three months. It's something we need to do every day. So what can you have in your life to remind you of your salvation? Do you have it marked down on the calendar, the day that you accepted Christ as your Savior, or the day you decided, I'm going to renew that walk with my Lord? Because I can tell you that I don't remember the day that I got saved. I was like five years old. But I do remember uh, where I was standing when I was 22 years old as at Kokolala Lake Bible Camp. And I remember, and it was October, that's as close as I can get, but I remember saying, I really need to get, and I was working there. I was like, I really need to get my life right with the Lord. I'd like to rededicate my life to you right now. And I can look back and say, okay, it was in October, probably about October 20th, it was near the end of the month, and so every October I can say, okay, I'm reminded that I chose once again that I'm going to live my life for the Lord. At 22 years old, I did that. So I want to encourage you to think back on your life. Can you think of when you, the date that you got saved? Can you think of something good in your life that God has done? Mark it on the calendar. Do something to remind yourself to remember of, that, of God's goodness in your life. And if you can think of that salvation, do something to remind yourself of that. And then I would encourage you, to, to live accordingly, because God does great things in our lives all the time. That we, we should be returning that, we should be honoring him by the way we live our, our lives because of that. And God gave us eternal life, and we should definitely be living our lives uh, in a different way because he did that for us as well. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the good things you do in our life. God, I know that you do good things in our life every day. Uh, God, you, you provide us with the air that we breathe. You provide us with the food that we have and the health that we have and our family and our friends and the, the employment that we have. God, I just pray that you would uh, remind us to, be, to remember those good things in our life, to write it down on the calendar, to write it in the back of our book, uh, our Bible, to do something, God, to remember. God, because there's so many th good things that you do in our life that we take for granted that we forget the next time the hard times come. So please help us to remember your goodnesses. And God, for your salvation that you have offered to each one of us. God, I thank you for that, that you died on the cross to pay for our sins so that we can have eternal life. And God, I pray that you please help us to change our lives each day to live accordingly, to remember your goodness. Uh, 
and, and providing salvation for us. God, I know there's lots of people who are not here today. God, I just want to pray for them. I pray that they would be somehow, even if they're not expecting it, God, please remind them of your goodness uh, in their lives and protecting them, getting to and fro. And, and God, for those who are saved, I pray that you would remind them of your salvation today and that they would live their life accordingly for you as well. Again, I thank you for your word. I thank you for being our Passover lamb. I pray this in Jesus' name.